Today's episode of 5 to 9 is sponsored by Groove. If you're a creative business owner working alone remotely, Groove is made for you. Groove's co-working sessions are on demand, so simply hop into a Groove whenever you're ready to get work done, and one to three other humans will be there to cheer you on and do work with you. I've actually been grooving in the past few days, and the experience was not only productive, but also fun, because I got to chat with some really incredibly cool people. It's kind of like a co-working space that's on your phone with a curated community. So download Groove in your app store and use the code space to grow all in one word, all in caps, to redeem a free 30-day pass. See you on Groove. Welcome to 5 to 9, a podcast for people who are seeking inspiration and aspire to work on their own terms. I'm your host, Tina Yip, founder of space to grow where we help people go from stuck to inspired in their careers. In this episode of 5 to 9, I had a chat with Sonia Mateko, a writer and poet who moved from New York to Vienna to live her dream life abroad. After a decade in advertising and tech, following rules and checking boxes at companies like Razorfish and WayUp, Sonia was craving more autonomy in her work and wanted to finally pursue her lifelong dream of living in Europe and publishing a book. With company layoffs in 2019, Sonia took it as a sign to launch her business, Nurture Narratives, where she provides feel-good storytelling experiences for brands, entrepreneurs, and dreamers who value well-being and feeling seen. Some of her clients include Betterment, American Express, MetLife, and Eden Health. In addition to growing Nurture Narratives, she writes poetry on her Instagram, Force of Nurture, and recently got a book deal. She's also a yoga teacher and loves to explore coffee shops in Vienna in her free time. We talked about her journey from following rules to going against the grain, the first steps to building her business and its evolution, moving abroad, how she got her book deal, and more. This is Sonia Mateko for 5 to 9. Hello, Sonia. Welcome to 5 to 9. Thank you for having me. First things first, congratulations on your recent book deal. Yay. Thank you so much. How does it feel to have a book deal? Still a little unreal. I think until I see it in my hand, it's still going to feel unreal. I'm really pumped and trying to be good about celebrating myself. (laughs) Yeah, as you should. I talked to a lot of people who think getting a book deal is a pipeline dream. Was that ever something that you thought it was just like, oh, something that I would love, but how is it ever going to happen? Thousand percent. Thought it was Mm. my plain dream. It was a consistent dream, but I'm like, one day, one day, like maybe when I finally reach some kind of milestone, I'll feel like I deserve it. I always felt like it was something I had to, I don't know, go to the moon for, but I realized Mm. that's not the case. A lot of us have a lot of really great things to say, and the first book doesn't need to be the bestseller. So getting one out there is, and knowing that you're worthy of it is the first step to more. Ooh, that's so good. Knowing that you're worthy of it. We'll talk a little bit more about how you got to the book deal in a little bit. But I want to backtrack and start with my favorite question, which is what were your expectations of your career when you first started out, maybe when you were in college or when you first started out your career? Yeah, I did advertising in school. And so I knew I wanted to work at an ad agency. And I was always someone who always followed the rules. So my plan was just to go in there and do all the necessary steps, tick all the boxes, do whatever was necessary to 
exceed my performance reviews and get that A plus and just keep moving up yeah. the ladder. And that was it. I just wanted to get good grades and get promoted into the next next level. And that's what I thought success was, was entering in something and moving up. Just it's funny to look back on it now. Yeah. And that's exactly what you did. Like you were in advertising, you were rising through the ranks in the comms department, and eventually you were head of communications at a tech company. But sounded, as you described yourself, love to follow rules, checking boxes, thought that's what success was. What shifted? It's interesting. I started in a 10,000 person company, global, amazing, honestly, the best place I could have started my career. I learned a lot from it. And then from that really large company, I went to an agency that was maybe like 200 or something people. I got a smaller atmosphere. From there, I went to that startup, which was more like 60, 70 people. And there was this transition of going smaller and smaller until I just became a solo company of one. And I realized that I feel more empowered making things happen on my own than when people assign me to do something. Mm -hmm. So I love starting something from nothing. At that 200 person company, I was the first communications person I ever had. I started it from scratch and that was so fun to me. And I'm like, wait, could I do this on my own for brands that I really want to be working with? And so that freedom became my North Star and it kind of nudged me every day when I went to the office. I'm like, if I can do this here, I think I can do it outside of these doors as well. One of the things that was holding me back is I was still pretty shy at this point. I was really good at leading projects and being successful and was always involved in women leadership networks and those things in the office. But it was always in the comfort of the rules that I thought I had to play by in corporate. And so I wasn't at the time, I was scared of what it would look like to do something on my own and not having the support of the agency name or having a full-time role and going, I guess, like against the rules of what I thought was like supposed to be the norm. But the biggest shift was I knew I wanted to create something on my own, but I was scared. And then my job laid me off and the doors opened of here's your opportunity. And I was just thinking about this the other day. I remember leaving the office in the morning, walking the opposite way of pedestrian traffic and being like, this is such a weird feeling. Everyone's coming towards me. I'm on my way home back to the subway. And I wasn't scared. It wasn't a relief, but it was this eerie feeling of, I think me going in this opposite direction is where I'm supposed to be going right now. And then I never went back to corporate after that. That's kind of when the journey began. I just decided to continue on that alternate path. Wow. I love that visual of kind of, you mentioned the cars and people coming in one direction and you were going the opposite way. I feel like a lot of listeners are at the precipice of trying to be against the grain and trying to also find the strength to mm -hmm. go against the grain. You mentioned you had some fears around how do I get started? What do I do? I'm a little shy. Now that you've realized that you have this North Star that you want to work with yourself, how'd you get started? At the time I was in New York City, which is such a great place to start anything mm -hmm. because there's just so many people who are doing really fascinating things. And even mm -hmm. if you don't partner with them, you can learn a lot from them. I was going... Even when I was still in corporate, I was going to a ton of networking events. That's actually how you and I connected. Is I went to one. I loved yeah. going to those types of events, whether mm -hmm. it was just networking with when you're chatting with people to push myself force myself out of that comfort zone. But I definitely loved the panel sessions and the talks more because I could be quiet and in my element and still learning from the speakers. And maybe if I was brave enough, I would email them after because I always feel more comfortable via email than mm. speaking. But I was definitely trying to attend as many events as I could. 
And then setting up coffee dates or meetups with folks that were from earlier in my career to see how else I can reconnect with people. And so I was just doing a lot of networking, as well as trying to enter some of the spaces that I was really interested in. So wellness and at the time, a lot of leadership, professional growth, even some spirituality spaces in New York City where I got my first set of clients from those areas because I just tried to ingrain myself in these communities that I also wanted to support through my business, which is writing. So networking was honestly a really, really big part of it. And at the time, there used to be a lot of really good Facebook groups for freelancing and finding gigs around the city, especially for solopreneurs. So I was posting and introducing myself a lot in that space. And that's actually where I got my first client was through one of those Facebook groups. I want to go deeper into the networking bit because I do think that's actually very important. Whether it is you're finding the next full-time job or freelancing, I think especially when you are a solopreneur, when you are doing your own thing, having a very supportive and very extensive network is very important. So when you were first starting out, was there any sort of strategy around how you approach networking or were you just kind of, I'm just going to meet anybody and just expand my network? Because it sounded like there was some strategy around where you went to based on what you wanted to work on. Yeah, great question. I'd lean more into that like wellness space. So things that were about and when I say wellness, I also mean the personal growth and personal development. So I would love going to workshops that were about enhancing your confidence or public speaking or skills was one area that I really loved going into because it was usually the people that were speaking were my ideal client coaches at the time or consultants, executive executive coaches, that type of sphere was was actually where I got my first beginnings in the clients. But then also, because I was coming from agency and media, and I was still doing a little bit of PR work. And when I first started the business, I was going to more industry events as well. So I was going award shows to see what work was winning within advertising and PR because I already had the connections, advertising week and those Mm -hmm. types of areas that were sticking with the corporate world just to keep my foot in the door because it's, it's what I knew. It's where I knew people. And then entering into more of that wellness personal growth space that I really had like a passion and interest for. So I separated my time into those two spheres. And another strategy that I also did actually when it was one-on-ones is a little bit before I'd gotten laid off, I started my Instagram account, which now it's poetry, but before it was also a little bit more of wellness advice and centered a lot around vulnerability and being comfortable with yourself. So I guess Mm -hmm. in that personal growth space. And so I was using that as a platform to network with people in New York City as well. So I had actually probably met, I don't know, six to eight people from Instagram that we were friends on the gram. And then I invited them out for coffee or they invited me out for coffee Mm -hmm. and made connections with people that way. That is how I got my third client is from Instagram, from us networking and chatting because we liked each other's content and had similar interests. So I also used Instagram as, as a tool for myself. I actually didn't use LinkedIn at all in the beginning which is funny because I use it a lot now. But yeah, Instagram fulfilled part of that wellness space. And then I had another strategy, which was actually a little bonus that I gave my first set of clients because I was so good at finding these events. I had maybe 
at the time, 10 websites that I would check every single week to see what the next week had for events. So mm-hmm. I would spend an hour or two a day doing a gut check and then picking the ones that I thought were most valuable. And then once I had my first set of clients, I'd also be searching for them. I'm like, these are the ones that you need to be at so that you're networking with your audience. I'm a learner, so I love learning from people. I wasn't going there and giving out my business card. I should be clear about that. I wasn't that confident still. I just wanted to be in the room with smart people to learn from them and then email them and and send a follow-up after if it was something I feel like I could collaborate, partner on, or, or learn from further. You led with your curiosity and led with your growth mindset. You wanted to work around these fields and you just wanted to learn during that time. Yes. Yeah. And what is also really interesting hearing back from your beginning journey is I also notice that a lot of people I talk to where they have a certain set of skills from their corporate experience. And for you, it sounded it was corporate comms and that was what you Mm -hmm. knew. But ultimately, you knew that eventually what you wanted to do was wellness, writing and wellness, writing in that sort of space. And so it sounded like you created that platform for now poetry, but back then reflections on vulnerability, all that stuff to just have something, it sounds like to bridge you to that world. A reason that I launched that Instagram was I launched that maybe six months before I was laid off. I wanted to start inching into that space and I was using that. So I wanted a place where If I was going to meet someone or interact with someone after, that's where I would drive them within the wellness world. We're both talking about these personal growth things and learning how to be better and and whatnot. So I do think that you've nailed it there as I was using that as the, oh, follow me here versus add me on LinkedIn. That's a really smart thing that you did because I think lots of people, they have certain set of skills, they know how to do and they want to eventually do something else. And because it was something that they haven't done before, they stop themselves from getting into it and thinking, oh, I don't have experience in that field. How do I get into it? And for you, you're like, I want to get into it. So I'm going to create a platform and that will be my bridge to get into that Mm -hmm. field and start working with clients that way. Self-starting that. And it's actually from one of those workshops that I went, something that always really stuck out for me. She was a speaker at one of the events and said this really great thing about how it's okay to allow yourself to be a beginner. And that really spoke to me. It's like, it's scary because you're admiring all of these people that are so much further that you imagine, oh, one day I would want to be like them. But you have to remember that one day they were like you and you won't get to that next day unless you start doing something. I really embraced being a beginner And I didn't try to bullshit that either when I was talking to clients and I'm like, yeah, I just left corporate. This is what I'm doing now. I'm really excited about it. It was part of my story versus something I shied away from. How did clients receive that when you say that? They liked the corporate background. I'm glad that I worked in corporate in the beginning. It was a really Mm -hmm. solid foundation, especially that first agency that I was at. I look back now and I'm like, wow, they really treated their people great. Like the movement up was great. I learned so much that enabled me to do what I'm doing now. I do not think that I would be in this position if I tried to do my own thing right off the bat. And that's not to say that other people can't, but I needed that transition period of working in corporate. I resonate with your story a lot because I used to live in New York and there's just so many people, so many events, networking and events and all these things are so available for you. What would you say to someone who might not live in such a big city and they're trying to network online, they're trying to start doing, they're in the beginning stages of where you were 
How would you then approach networking, expanding your network, finding the right people through the internet? A few things come to mind. One that I love always is creative warnings. I've hosted a few workshops with them. So they do a thing called field trips where like anyone that's in the community can host a workshop. So joining those and being a part of the chat, being a part of the emails, that's one way to network with the folks that are joining as well as the speaker. And they host those multiple times in the week from all over the world, then thinking about those more intentional communities. So I'm going to throw one of my past clients into the mix and say, like-minded collective is a really good one where it's females in all various stages of their career that come together. The way she has it set up is like various different like workshops. I think they have a Slack channel and just a way to like consistently communicate and ask each other for advice. Freelancing females create and cultivate dreamers and doers. I think all host events and things and all those are online based. I'm big into the female empowerment. So of course, mm-hmm, everything I just mm-hmm. mentioned is like that, but there's plenty others. Basically, what you're saying is finding existing communities that aligns with the work that you want to do and just the people that you want to meet just through the internet, through people. I want to talk a little bit about your lifestyle. I remember reading an article that you wrote about moving to Vienna and you now are based out of Vienna, working mm-hmm. remotely there. Tell me about that whole process of designing that sort of lifestyle where you're able to live anywhere and be remote. How did that all come about? How'd you do it? That was one of the reasons why I originally wanted to start my own company. I wanted to live abroad and I wasn't sure if a company would allow me to. It was before the pandemic, before remote work became a norm. And so once I had the ability to create my own company, that was one of the biggest reasons that I wanted to do it is so that I could work Mm -hmm. from anywhere and I did have to wait a little bit out. I had to wait for the pandemic to settle before I could go over there. But I went to Europe for six months in the, originally to test out different cities to see where I felt most. I could see myself trying to put down some roots or at least exploring what roots there would look like. And my family's from Poland. So I started in Warsaw for about three months. Then I went to Vienna for six weeks, fell in love, come back to that. Mm-hmm. I went to Lisbon, which is a great hub for a lot of digital nomads, but I definitely came back to Vienna. There was just something that clicked there. And I'm like, this is the city I know that I want to go back to. And so I came back to the US, got my cat, took my cat with me to Vienna. Yeah, about two years ago. And Started working there, so always upfront with my clients, but I originally made myself available in Eastern hours. So that was one mm. of the biggest transitions is that I worked nights. So it's a six hour time difference. So that meant, thankfully, I am a night owl. So it wasn't a huge imposition on my lifestyle. And I slowly started to shift my availability and also just get work done earlier in the day, even while clients were not awake yet and whatnot. And now, two years later, I stop my availability on at 2 p.m. Eastern so that by 8 p.m. Mm-hmm. in Vienna, I'm able to go up and meet with people. And I also don't take any meetings on, on Fridays so that I have that day. So big on the boundaries and stuff. But it took some time to be able to build a trust with folks knowing, yeah, she lives across an ocean, but she's still super reliable. And I know that she's going to get me what I need. It's really fun to work from Viennese cafes. I love it. Love the coffee culture there. And once I started to find friends and meet people, then it just became a home. I just love it so much. The quality of life and the ease of life is just 
Oh, it's awful. Yeah, I was was watching a YouTube video about how I think Vienna is the number one place. Voted best place to live. Yeah, yeah. Number one best place to live in the world. Two years at number one, because I included this in my article. I'm pretty sure it's been in the top 10 for the last decade, or at least in the top 20 for the last decade. But it is truly from the public transportation to the rent prices are more stabilized to there's access to all sorts of nature from you can take a train to the Alps, you can bike right through the parks, like there's canals and lakes and there's just vineyards in the city, vineyards (laughs) in the city. Let me say it again. One time I... I was walking home and I stumbled upon a Philharmonic symphony. Yeah. It sounds like you had wanted to live abroad and eventually figure out as Vienna for a bit. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people have this fear around if they want to live abroad, there's going to be lack of stability. There's this fear of how is my life going to work? What are some of these fears that you had to confront when you increasingly had this yearning of wanting to live abroad? And how did you work through that? I would say one fear was if I was going to be lonely. When you're leaving all your friends and family and going on this solo adventure, it is a really exciting thing. I was doing it alone. So in the beginning, the first six months that I was there when I was just traveling, I was just using dating apps to find people to show me the city. It was a great way to see the best spots. And actually, one of the guys that I met through that time is still one of my like best friends now. Mm. Actually, two of them are really good friends. So I w- used it as a great way of, of exploring. Find friends. And, yeah, making sure I had connections. I did use Bumble BFF once and she ghosted me. I Another thing that I did, Facebook groups, again, is there's a lot of expat women of Vienna or international women of Vienna. And mm. it was a friend of mine who suggested that I use these. And I did a personal ad of, I like this and this, like looking for friends who are also interested and in going to yoga, going to get like a cocktail. And like people responded and I went on a bunch of a friend dates. And that's also how I started to build a little bit of a community. So that was one thing that I definitely had to overcome and took a little bit of time. If you're an open person and you meet another open person, and you both have similar interests. Why wouldn't they also want to add you into their life? If there's something that you could both gain from each other, enjoy each other's company. That was the, the loneliness aspect. And the other part is obviously my German's not great. So learning another language. I do speak Polish. So that's why I started in Poland because mm-hmm. I didn't have to worry about learning another one. I am in the process of doing the German classes and it's not coming easy. So that's definitely still one I'm trying to overcome. But thankfully, a lot of people do speak English in Vienna. But it's definitely a a very solid fear to have is, oh, do I need to learn another language? And Mm -hmm. I think it's important to learn the basics. And it's respectful that if you live in another country to do what you can to understand their culture and try. So I think I'm going to keep at it, even though it's not coming naturally to me. And in terms of your work... You mentioned you started your company in the pandemic. So was your business at a place where you just had consistent clients coming in, you felt good about it, and then you moved to Vienna? How did that match up? So I actually got a little bit lucky in timing in that I started my company when I was laid off, which was six or seven months before the pandemic. So I had a little bit of a head start on working from home and being a freelancer with a handful of clients before everything fell apart. I already knew how to work from home, convinced a bunch of people about that working relationship, had already built that network in person so that when we went virtual, it wasn't 
too much of a hurdle. So I built that little bit of a foundation in the beginning, which was nice, solid ground to be upon. One of those clients was still fluctuating with budget because everything was crazy. So not everything was totally stable, but I had somewhere to land. And then from that point, I'm proud of myself because from then on, it was word of mouth that I was getting my clients, I think for the next two years. So anytime that I worked with someone, they would recommend me to another. One of my biggest clients was actually someone who remembered me from years past in my advertising days, who then recommended me to another role that became a part-time contracting. Maybe it's straddling luck and me recognizing, oh, you do good work, so people do want to work with you. I struggle to be nice to myself and remind myself that people hire you because you are good, not just because you are lucky. Yeah. Yeah, don't minimize what you did. I know. You I know. did the it's good so work. Hard. So people referred you to others. I know. It's, it's a little imposter syndrome that still creeps up. Mm. So what does your work pie look like now these days? Right now, I'm helping a lot of brands within the wellness space. And I define wellness pretty loosely. So it's brands who are creating stories about workplace wellness, financial wellness, mental health, employee benefits, those types of things within long form content. And then I'm also helping like executives and solopreneurs within that same wellness space tell their stories through different forms of media. So thought leadership, copy on their websites or professional bios, which is my big, big love is, is those professional bios. So a lot of that content within that that wellness arena. And I also am hosting writing workshops for the everyday person who doesn't need to be a founder or a brand owner, just someone who wants to tap into their own self-expression as well. And then a little plot twist is along this way, I became a yoga teacher. So I also am teaching like three to four classes Mm. a week in English, but in Vienna. My Instagram is fully my little baby home for poetry and my self-expression. So the work that I'm doing, not for anyone else, but just for me and my community and those who love poetry. So posting to that whenever I can. I actually haven't done any workshops around poetry, but maybe that's something that I can explore, but definitely committing time to that. I honestly love all of it. How has your business evolved from you starting it in 2019 to this day? Amazing question. And this is something that I really want more entrepreneurs to know. My business today is almost not necessarily nothing like it was, but it has changed a lot. I've refined my services a lot. So when I started, I was leaning on the work that I did in corporate. So it was a lot of PR and comms and still the writing and editing, but PR and comms was where I came from in corporate. So that was the bridge that I connected when I first made my business. But in the first year or two, I realized that it wasn't in pitching the content and getting the content played that I was feeling fulfilled. It was in helping my clients write the content, even if it was the, whether it was the stump speech, whether it was the thought leadership speech, whether it was like the promotional email for their upcoming event, it was the copy that made me most excited. So I slowly started taking away all of the PR elements and just including the copywriting. And then at the same time, I was also getting more and more into where I see wellness space because I first launched my brand is purpose-driven, which now kind of makes me cringe a little because so many things are purpose-driven. What does that even mean? I don't know. But I just wanted to work with people who are doing good. And that's really, really what it was about. And now I want it to be more about well-being. So good for your finances, your workplace, your mental health. And so I 
niched down on the clients that I was working with. I changed my services to be more about what I actually loved and enjoyed doing and where I, I thought people would gain the be- most benefit from me too, is putting that copy together. Another change over the four years was that it took me a while to invest in other people, but I've started to do that. And I'm, it's a really good feeling to do something on your own and build yourself from nothing. But there does come a point where I realized, even if I was stubborn about it, that I don't have to do it all on my own. So Mm -hmm. things like hiring someone to help me make my website look even better. Last year, I hired a virtual assistant who has seriously made everything like so much better. Like she's fabulous. I just started working with a brand strategist to help me refine my messaging. The ability to outsource, I feel like it gets me so excited because it's going to take me to the next level. But it did take working through my own stubbornness because I did build it on my own, but I built the foundation. And now I would love to tap into other smart people to help me rise up more. So it's been a lot of testing, playing around, playing. It's been a lot of playing. I love that you mentioned playing and experimenting. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times for folks who are considering doing something themselves or making a switch, it feels like this huge decision where I need to make this one decision. It needs to be perfect and it's going to stick with me and it's going to be what I'm going to do forever. What is amazing about your story is that you were just unafraid of change, unafraid of just trying things out. And when you first started, this is where you were at. You knew how to do a lot of the PR and comm stuff. So let's start with that while investing time in doing what you want to do. And eventually you moved more into that. And you were also not afraid of just testing new offerings and trying new things and evolving your company as you go. You started off by just going really ham in expanding your network, finding the people that you want to work with, find potential clients. And how you grew your business was by doing an incredible job with your existing clients so that they're so happy that they would refer you to other people. That's something that is overlooked. You're just in this scarcity mindset of I need to consistently be just looking for new clients when there is actually also something to be said around doing an incredible job with your existing clients, making the experience so good that how you grow is organically through them because you're doing such an amazing job. To actually add to that too is it might not always happen immediately. That Mm. referral might not happen right after the project ends. I worked with someone at a startup and just lose collaborative together, great. And then I think both of us like were no longer there. Six or eight months went by and then he just sent me like a LinkedIn message. Hey, I think you'd be great for this freelance opportunity that we have. Are you interested? It was more than half a year later that he thought of me for this opportunity and and ended up being able to partner with the organization that he was at. And it just took a little bit of time, but people don't forget if you leave an impact and those opportunities can come knocking six months or six years down the road. Now let's come full circle and talk about your book. As we talked about, you got a book deal. How did that all even happen? Starts when I was five. <laughs> no, but it kind of it does. I did a long time coming. Five years, yeah, really long time coming. I did write a fairy tale book when I was in fifth grade and was in the newspaper oh. for it and whatnot. <laughs> and so it's always been something that I really wanted to do professionally, truly. But procrastinated on it for three decades. Finally, I don't know what the turning point was because when I was in New York, I was fully committed, going to a lot of writing events, and I still just wasn't doing it. But eventually, I decided. 
you can no longer keep putting this off on your New Year's resolutions and, and whatnot. I started putting together the manuscript. I started because I did have a lot of poetry on that account. So I started looking at all of the ones that had the best engagement and the people loved the most. And I used that as a, a starting point, what's already succeeded. And then started writing some new ones, was trying to hold myself accountable, asked my best friend to hold me accountable. Took me a while to complete that manuscript. And then what really helped is actually asking people for help. So going back to like that outsourcing thing, like I asked my couple of friends to read the first draft and see what they thought, incorporated those edits. And then I, I hired a poetry editor, someone from Instagram that I met and follow to also edit the manuscript and a query letter. And all of that process probably took a year because I took my sweet, sweet time as usual. And once I had that query letter, again, I sat on it. I'm most scared of this because this is the thing I've always wanted. I asked my virtual assistant to do the research on what publishers would be within this space because it was something that I, again, was letting slide on my to-do list. And it was thanks to her help that I found the publisher that saw what I want to do with this book and really felt what I was trying to say. And we got on a Zoom call, loved them, everything we aligned on and our vision is very similar. And once I got the offer, I was in complete disbelief. It just felt like, did I really just, did I, did I do the thing? Like I did the thing that I've been thinking about for all of this time. And it was a pretty surreal feeling to, yeah. to get that, to sign it, to send it back. Mm -hmm. And yes, I waited. Yes, it took me a lot of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I made a lot of excuses, but I did it. I did it and it's happening. Yeah, you did it all yourself. You started the Instagram as it sounds as an outlet as a place for you to write because you wanted to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then through that experience, you were like, I need to get this book out. I just need to mm -hmm. have a book out. Then you started making the book. And from what I understand, like the manuscript is the book, right? Correct. Yeah. With poetry, okay. it's a little bit different than fiction or nonfiction because you have to have the whole collection complete in order to submit it to a publisher versus yeah. for other types of books. Like you could send the query without writing the book and, and maybe have some sample yeah. pages depending. But yeah, for poetry to for consideration, it needs to be done. Yeah. You finish the book and then you shopped it around a ton of different publishing companies. How many cold emails did you send? <laughs> I don't know. Sorry, that was such an awkward laugh. I hate, that was... I I have no idea. A lot. So it sounds like a lot. Yeah. Yeah. You got your virtual assistant to do all the research for you around who you can contact. And then mm -hmm. you emailed a crap ton, cold emailed a crap ton of public publishers. And through that, you got the book deal. Publishers and agents. So just in case anyone's interested in the world is typically actually going to an agent is, is what a lot of people told me to do. But I love that I was able to connect directly with a publisher. So there are yeah. different avenues to go. But just a little tidbit for any other writers. Yeah. I just wanted to reiterate that because I know your writing is really good. I know you have made something very special, but there wasn't any shortcuts. There was no, you went viral or there was no, I don't know, someone in the industry connected. You did all the work. And this story is just so amazing because it tells our listeners that simply the fact that you wanted to make this happen, you did all the work, you write the entire book and you cold emailed all these people. And that's how you got the book deal. Now I might cry. Yeah. 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 Like you Here did you all that work. Yeah. There was no shortcut. You just did all the work because you decided to. Which is, I think, so incredible about that story. Thank you for verbalizing that. It's nice to hear it reflected back to you. Was there at any point where you were losing faith or losing the belief that this needs to come to life, where you just felt such a low that you're like, this is not happening, is it? Was there hurdles like that? 
Yeah, there is when, because I'm still posting like new stuff on Instagram all the time and a a lot of authors already have books. A lot of them are self-published, which is awesome, but I really wanted to go like full in with publisher. So was there a reason why? Part of it, I think is the validity and the credibility of, yes, someone else believes in my book and wants to invest and take this on. I think that was a big thing that was important to me. And I already do a lot by myself with this business that having a publisher Mm -hmm. support me and doing the distribution and the formatting and design and stuff that was really appealing to have that support and someone who knows what they're doing I don't know how to publish a book so that was really important to me I was jealous of a lot of these really awesome writers and I was happy for them too because I bought a lot of their books because I think their work is awesome but I'm like oh I really want mine how long am I gonna keep waiting on this like when everyone else is on their third or second book and then also the Instagram algorithm I had a really nice spree for a little bit on my poetry account but then things got really really consistent like just annoyingly consistent like I don't think that I've moved in follower count for eight months it's just there and I try all the different tricks and read all the different things but that can sometimes be a little bit motivating I was definitely feeling sad about I'm not even reaching people who's gonna then buy my book if I can't even get this post to reach anybody but again I'm giving myself grace I can't fight the Instagram algorithm all I can do is share my work know that whoever it reaches and impacts like that's great if it's one person if it's two people if it's two thousand like whatever that reaches anytime I get just one message of someone wow this really hit me I really needed this today that's why Mm -hmm. I do it I try to be nicer about myself about competing against the metrics and just continuing to do what I love and putting it out in the world I just loved hearing the totality of your story because you manifested and when I say manifest I mean you did all of this. You made it all happen yourself. To wrap up, I want to ask you, what is a ritual that helps you keep going? Yoga is my therapy for sure. Just necessary for my well-being. And I always feel better when I come back. What's a book that has transformed how you work or live? The Alchemist, definitely. That's my number one. I've already read it a few times. Might read it again. But if no one's read that one, highly recommend. What would you say to a past version of yourself three years ago? You're doing better than you think you are. Mm. What is the best investment you've made to your growth? Most recently, virtual assistant. What is something that you're seeking to solve right now that maybe our listeners can help you with? I am trying to minimize and more specialize my services. So I want to get even more like minimal and specific. So it's a brand thing I'm working through right now. Yes, there's power and niche, everyone. Any last words that you'd like to offer to folks who are listening? Something that I would love to put out into the universe is whether it is you that is beginning this journey or it's someone else that is beginning this journey. Remember that you don't have to reach the peak and someone else doesn't have to reach like their penultimate before you start to celebrate them. So those little moments in between, like getting an email response or getting your first client or the first time they are able to increase prices. Hopefully people talk about this more like to their friends and support system and really truly celebrate them. Those little tiny celebrations really deserve to be put in the spotlight just as much as like the other major milestones. Yes, celebrate the journey. It's not only about those goals or those big milestones, but also the journey along the way because that's really our day-to-day and we want to feel good in our day-to-day too so yes yes, celebrate the journey 
Thank you so much, Sonia, for coming on 5 to 9 today. I loved talking about your story. Thank you for having me, Tina. This was fabulous. And I'm so glad I met you at that networking event all those years ago. Thank you for listening to this episode of 5 to 9. If you enjoyed what you heard, please leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcast. And follow Space to Grow on Instagram at spacetogrow.world for more content, workshops, and courses to learn how to live a more intentional, meaningful, and expansive work and life. And feel free to comment and slide into our DMs anytime. I'd love to hear from you and what you like to see from this pod and how it can be more helpful for you. This is Tina Yip from Space to Grow, and see you in our next episode.